So Money Episode 699, Adam Ariema, Editor-in-Chief of Money Magazine. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Monday, March 5th, 2018. How was your weekend? Do anything fun? My family and I just got back from Pennsylvania where we spent the weekend with family celebrating our daughter Colette's first birthday. Cannot believe it has been 12 months since I went into the hospital. And then it was another nine months before that, that I was carrying her. I cannot believe it's been 18 months since I first found out I was pregnant with her. It's been uh, quite a ride. (laughs) An amazing, incredible tough, hard, sleepless life that I would do all over again, 20 times over. It's been a joy raising a daughter. And I look forward to this upcoming year with her and see uh, now that she's going to start to walk soon and probably start speaking a little bit. I'll be sure to keep you posted. All right. Today's show is a little bit of a throwback for me because uh, it involves going down memory lane. We have a top magazine editor on the show, and I've been not just a subscriber of this magazine, but you might know I was an employee, an intern, in fact, in the past. It's actually where I got my first start in the biz, in journalism, and it all happened at Money Magazine. And today I'm excited to say we have the new editor-in-chief of Money with us, Adam Ariema. Since taking on this huge role, prominent role, Adam has helped lead Money.com to more than 10 million unique visitors, an all-time record. And prior to working for money, Adam was at Fusion and also the Wall Street Journal. Adam and I talk about some of the more hidden stories when it comes to personal finance. What does he think are some of the underreported topics? We also talk about how he got into the money space as someone whose first job was working in a grocery store earning $6 an hour and why he calls himself an aggressive saver. It's not just a coincidence. Here is Adam Ariema. Adam Ariema, welcome to So Money, the editor-in-chief of Money Magazine. How cool is this? (laughs) It's pretty cool. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, I don't know if you knew this, but I was an intern at Money when I was uh, maybe 21. I remember because I could drink. (laughs) No. <laughs> that's how I remember my Maybe. events in my in my teens and early twenties. Like, was I eligible to drink yet? Yes, I was. So I <laughs> yeah. was I was in the Time editorial internship program, which was so yeah. great. I don't know if they have it anymore, but they do. They oh, do. they do. Good. Yeah. Yeah, we had some great interns this year. Yeah. Did you have a good time at Money? Great time. I have to say, you know, I at the time when I got the internship. Right before the internship, you know, they they asked you what were your top three magazines, so they could identify where to place you. And I had put um, Money, Fortune, and I think at the time there was Fortune Small Business. And the, I remember the internship coordinator called me a few months before the program started and said, "Farnusha, I just want to make sure you know that you put down Money Magazine as your." <laughs> Top choice is that right? <laughs> was, that um, a mis- was that a mistake? Um, 
<laughs> and you were like, no, that's absolutely correct. I was like, no, correct. that's absolutely, I was like, I'm crazy. I really want to go, because I was a finance major and I thought, sure. well, where else would I, I really was interested in financial journalism. And so she just wanted to make sure. That's too funny. That's <laughs> so I don't think funny. I had a lot of competition. Um, <laughs> all this to say that I'm excited to have on the, the new editor-in-chief of Money and tell us a little bit about the future of personal finance coverage. And then we'll get into you and all your money musings, but um, would love to hear from you about what is the future of personal finance coverage? Because honestly, if you asked someone on the street, you know, when you think of money magazine, what do you think they might think of like, you know, my grandfather's money, my, 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 my father's magazine, you know, he read when he, he keeps it in his attache when he comes home from work, (laughs) he reads it with his pipe, you know, no. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, hopefully we're, we're, we would like to change that perception. Um, we obviously, you know, the sort of grandfather, uh, smoking a pipe is definitely part of our readership. I mean, a lot of our readers are, are older, they're either near retirement or they're thinking about retirement, but that's actually sort of more true of our, of our print audience online. We're, we're much younger. We're, we're actually, um, more than half of our readers are millennial. Uh, more than half of our readers are women. And we really try to take a, a much more, I would say, holistic view of money um, than you might sort of associate us with. So, you know, we do the core investing and retirement coverage, but we also like to think about sort of how money affects all the different aspects of our lives. So do a little bit of, um, you know, healthcare coverage and travel coverage because, you know, that's a great way to spend your money and stories about relationships and politics. And, you know, so it's sort of like a, it's sort of a two step but you know we're trying to give people like really good personal finance advice every day um and trying to make it feel current and urgent and necessary because a lot of it is the same advice but you'd sort of have to keep repackaging it uh to fit the moment uh and on the other side i think what we want to do is just sort of um sort of highlight wherever we can the ways that money affects our lives, even if we don't think about it sort of in those terms. So uh, really just encouraging conversation about money, you know, wherever we find it. So when we're watching the Super Bowl and we're wondering, you know, how much did Justin Timberlake get paid for this performance? I mean, that's the type of story that we like to write about money because we just like to sort of start a conversation about money and see where it goes and sort of break down that taboo. So it's about giving useful information. It's about giving news with the little bit of value added to it. And it's just about telling, you know, what we like to call irresistible stories about money and, and how it affects us. Irresistible stories. Irresistible. Wow. <laughs> you're, you're singing my, what is it? You're, you're speaking my language. Oh, good. <laughs> well, did you always think you were going to be running a money a publication that focuses on money. I know your background is journalism. You, um, in some ways, you know, this is not an unusual post for you, but in some ways talk about how this might be like not the path that you always thought you would take. Yeah, it's definitely not. I mean, I've been in, you know, I started in media right after college, but, um, for a while, I was sort of a generalist. Uh, my first job was at the Daily Beast, and I was basically covering breaking news. Like they had that little thing called the cheat sheet, which was just sort of little news summaries, uh, little hundred word bites of uh, what's happening in the world. And so I just sort of started that way um, and was really just sort of covering whatever was going on. Um, and then I, when the first time I really specialized in something was when I worked at the Wall Street Journal. I was in there. Uh, what they called the management bureau. So this was a small group of reporters uh, under the business desk 
and we covered management and the workforce and the way the companies are run, um, sort of like the people side of business. And that was really interesting to me. Um, and it was really all about exploring sort of the way that companies are run, how CEOs work, how they think, um, uh, and also everything like um, office culture things and how to negotiate for a pay raise and deal with your coworkers and things like that. But that was my first experience sort of diving into a beat. Um, and I really enjoyed it. But I, you know, I think what you have to, I think what you find in life is that you have to stay open to various possibilities. So even after my Wall Street Journal job, my next job was at a place called Fusion, which is now called uh, Splinter. It's part of the Gizmodo group. And there I was covering social justice issues. So um, things like immigration and um, um, uh, uh, police brutality, things like that. So, which was a really cool experience too. And then after that, I ended up at money. Um, money always felt from the start for me, like a really good fit. I'd always been interested in money. Um, I had always sort of liked to talk about money, (laughs) um, and, and wanted to learn more. Like I, I wouldn't have considered myself an expert on money before I started working at money, but I really had a good foundation and I was really interested in the topic. And I was especially interested once I was sort of presented with the opportunity of, of, um, of sort of trying to make personal finance as broad and mainstream and accessible as possible. What do you think is a story in the money vertical in the personal finance world that you think is hasn't been told enough or like a question that hasn't really quite been answered that's really interesting to you and your readers? I'm just trying to mm. figure out like what's the next big story? Mm. I feel like recently we just started talking about making more, whereas like mm-hmm. 10 years ago, that was maybe not polite and mm-hmm. not acceptable to talk. Like, how could you tell people to try, try to make more money? Like, that's impossible. You know, it was not dem- democratic necessarily to talk about like, well, you just go have a side hustle. Right. But yeah, the conversations I, are shifting. I like that. I totally get that. I mean, and it took me a minute to realize that too. It took me a few months into this job and, you know, but whenever we start eliciting uh, reader feedback, that's always what they say. It's like, what about the other side of the equation? How do we make more money? Um, I, uh, so, so, you know, I, I was um, talking to a friend of mine, this old friend that I hadn't seen in a while. And she was, she was like, Oh my God, I can't believe you're, you're, you're editor of money magazine. Like you need to help me with my money. And I was like, all right, um, we're going to see each other in a couple of weeks. Like, you know, write down all your, give me all your numbers and like, tell me where you're at. And we'll like go over your, your portfolio. And, and she was like, wait, what? No, I don't have any money. To, I just need more. <laughs> That's the problem. I don't have any of it. Exactly. And I was like, Oh, you're totally right. Let's take so, a step back. Yeah, exactly. And that, I mean, a lot of people are in that situation. It's not just about managing the money you have. So anyway, um, I used to think that sort of the entrepreneurial space was not really um, something that money should be covering. It felt more like a sort of fortune thing or, you know, fast company thing. We're, We're not about sort of starting businesses. We're about personal finance. At the same time, what I discovered is that even if we're not writing about starting businesses, Thinking in that sort of entrepreneurial mode is actually really helpful and actually something that our readers really respond to because 
um, you know, having that sort of entrepreneurial mindset of how can I, how can I sort of add a revenue stream to what I'm already doing or how can I sort of like plot out my career, uh, in a way that'll help me earn more money and how do I sort of practice mindfulness, which is what, you know, I, I find a lot of entrepreneurs are doing, um, and how can, how that can sort of like really positively impact your life. So we're sort of, I think for me, um, you know, one of the sort of big ideas we're exploring is like how to be sort of more entrepreneurial in your personal finance, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Oh, it makes a hundred percent sense because also I think that when you inhabit entrepreneurial traits, what that also means is that you're your biggest advocate. You yeah. think outside the box. Yeah. And so that doesn't mean like, oh, you have to go start this business, but just applying that to how you budget or how you think about negotiating. Yeah. Just like being strategic, um, which is something we can all learn. What is your money philosophy and how has it changed since you've become the editor in chief? Um, I say like, uh, overall my money philosophy sort of aligns with what money has long been about, you know, money's money's philosophy is sort of, uh, you know, it's aspiring to be the millionaire next door, the 401k millionaire, the sort of slow and steady millionaire, um, and just sort of, uh, abiding by some fundamental rules, like, you know, living within your means, um, and, uh, investing regularly and not trying to time the market and sort of investing in low cost funds, um, not trying to sort of go for hot stocks, uh, that all of that stuff is what money has long espoused. And it, it sort of rings true to me. Um, uh, I don't think I aspire to be sort of flashy and luxurious and have like a ton of money, but like I aspire to be comfortable and have, uh, you know, what I need and am willing to sacrifice in the near term. So that's sort of the general philosophy for me and the magazine. What I need is something that I think we could all get help with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Defining that, right? Right. That's right. Sure. And, and, and what you want and mm -hmm. seeing, you know, if you know what, what you want versus what you need, that. That's, that's big. Not everyone can say that. I mean, I'm sure on many days I, I can't say that. It's tough. It is tough. Tell me about your upbringing. And you said earlier that, you know, although you never maybe exactly thought you would become the editor-in-chief of money, but you have a sensibility and a comfort around this topic. Was that something that is that was rooted in childhood? Take me back to when you were a kid and maybe your first money experience or memory. Hmm. Um. Yeah, good question. I mean, my first money memory, actually, um, it's not a very fun one, but I, I actually think I'm trying to think of like the first time I sort of thought about money. And I think it came down to my, I was, uh, my parents got divorced when I was young. And one thing that sticks out about my childhood is this, this child support check that had to go between mom and dad. And, uh, my sister and I were often like the vessel for that check to be like passed. Um, and I think that sort of taught me maybe not the best stuff about money. You know, it, it sort of symbolized money as something that was like a little bit taboo and a little bit uncomfortable uh, and a little bit mysterious. Like I didn't know what the check was or entirely what it was about. I just knew it was like a source of discomfort <laughs> and anxiety. Um, so I didn't have like the most like candid and open relationship uh, with money, I would say as a kid. But the one thing that I think that did help me and prepare me for later is that I started working when I was really young, when I was 14. Uh, my sister, my older sister, who worked at the grocery store in our town, just sort of 
uh, signed me up for a job. I didn't even have to apply for myself. She just like drove me to the store one day and then, and then I was working, uh, for $6 Good an sister. hour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I was just pushing carts around the parking lot for $6 an hour and saving and, um, and for whatever reason, maybe because I had observed some like financial friction in my family, um, I was just like a super aggressive saver, like from the jump. And I like I put away that measly paycheck. I mean, the first thing that I really wanted was a car. Um, and then I wanted to be able to pay for my cell phone. And then I wanted to like save up a little for college. But so I was always sort of tucking away money. And that, that was always fun for me. Just like naturally, I've always been a saver over a spender. Hmm. Lucky me, right? Well, I wish I, it's good that the editor in chief of money is a saver. I think that's <laughs> yeah, probably good. a good thing. <laughs> well, that does beg the question do you feel like your job adds pressure to you to be able to make, like, you know, like relatively responsible decisions? I know that as a financial journalist in my early 20s, that was definitely something that impacted my performance with my money. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't feel a ton of pressure. I mean, I generally feel like, okay, with what I'm doing. Um, if anything, I feel like it's a big advantage because I get to, I mean, every day when I'm reading stories, I'm learning things about money and I'm surrounded by some incredibly talented journalists who have been at money for, you know, 10, 15 years, some of them. Um, and I'm learning a lot. And other times when I have questions, I have like the perfect resource. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I was trying to plan a vacation and I asked our travel reporters, you know, how do I get a cheap flight? Uh, or I had a tax question and I had a tax reporter to turn to. So I actually feel like I'm um, pretty lucky uh, and I know where to turn. So I'm doing all right. <laughs> That is that is a great resource that you have. And uh, yeah. one thing that is exceptional about money, I will say, is that uh, the reporters and the writers, they are there for the long haul. I mean, I remember yeah. working there as an intern and today there are still some writers who are still on staff. And that's, I think, a, a real testament to how, well, one, fun it is to work at money, but how rewarding the job is as well. Hopefully they feel, they feel very rewarded in that job. Yeah, I hope so too. And it's cool to have those people because like, like you were sort of referencing money as a, as a like sort of institution has certain, um, ideas and, and values. And so if you don't have those people to, to, to represent them and remember them, um, you know, that's, that's not good. So and we, we're lucky to have that where they have like a real sort of strong philosophy that's been carried through for many years now. It's special for sure. All right. As a journalist in New York City, I, I was, I mean, in my 20s, I was making $18 an hour at Money Magazine before taxes as a glorified intern after grad school. I made it work because I lived with a married couple and stole food from my parents on the weekends when I would go visit them um, in Massachusetts, which, by the way, is where you're from, too. It is. Yes, it is. And so how did you make it work as a young person climbing the media ranks in New York City. I can't imagine you're like rolling in the dough um, at 25 or 24. Maybe you were. Indulge me. Uh, <laughs> take me back to that time frame because I think that's something that is still rings true for a lot of young people trying to make, trying to quote unquote, make it right in a big city. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got lucky in, 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 in one major way, which is that I went to NYU and I got a lot of scholarships and my parents helped me out. So I was able to graduate without debt. So, I mean, that is just like huge. Um, you can't sort of underestimate that. Um, and then after that, um, I lived on the cheap. I, I had a boyfriend. We shared a room uh, inside an apartment with a few other roommates and a couple cats. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, my rent was $600 a month for, you know, the first, I guess, probably the, the three years after I graduated college. So that was huge just to have like yeah. a really low rent and be able to um, um, just live cheaply. Uh, when I graduated, I didn't graduate with a job. I graduated in 2009, which is just sort of like, you know, prime recession period. Mm-hmm. It was a really tough job market. So I started scooping ice cream, um, gelato actually at a place on the Lower East Side. And I got paid like $13 an hour under the table, which was a beautiful thing. Um, and while I was doing that, I, I, I took a couple internships. So I interned at the New Yorker, um, in their photo department, uh, of all places, but that's the, that's the internship I could get. And I just wanted to be in the New Yorker offices. Um, uh, and then I had another internship, which was much more formative at this place called Media Bistro. Do you remember Media Bistro? I do. In fact, I just met the woman who started it a couple Laurel of nights Toby. ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, you... <laughs> was she wearing a boa? She likes to wear a boa. <laughs> it was dark. I, I don't okay. remember if there was a boa, but I did tell her that she, before LinkedIn, like you were the lifeblood for journalists yes, coming yes. into the market in the in like I guess the late '90s and 2000s. Absolutely. I and so my job there was they used to do this series called How to Pitch where you would call up an editor at some magazine and ask them how they like to be pitched because this was aimed at freelance journalists. So that was kind of a cool thing to do. And I got to like talk to a lot of magazine editors and then I started thinking about maybe I could be a magazine editor. I had, I had studied uh, comparative literature in college. I had not done journalism, but I had done sort of reading and writing. And I, I thought that like a natural sort of extension of that would be to get into media somehow. Um, so I also tried an internship at a book publishing place, but I really didn't like books. The, the pace felt way too slow. Um, so anyway, flash forward a few months, I was scooping ice cream for a while. My no, manager- wait, wait, scooping ice Ice cream. <laughs> yeah. Hold up. <laughs> that Tell was me. my <laughs> at Hagen Dazs or no, no. Um, it's called. It's still around. It's on Houston now. It's called El Laboratorio del Gelato. It's oh, like yes. this Italian gelato. Fancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's what I did uh, after college before I got a job. And so I, I'd scoop ice cream when it was busy, but most of the time I was in the back um, shopping up all the fruit for the sorbets. As one does. Yeah, it's just like cutting watermelons and mangoes and whatever, all sorts of things. That's a great story. Um, Yeah, and 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 they would also let me take home some vanilla bean and I would um I would scrape out the the beans uh for twenty dollars an hour while I was watching TV at home. Nice. Twenty dollars an hour. Oh, this guy paid really well. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Shout out John Snyder. Um uh, anyway, so then my manager at Media Bistro ended up moving to the Daily Beast uh, really shortly after it launched. That was the website from Tina Brown, who is like this mm-hmm. famous magazine editor who was who went online and started a website in 08. Um, and I, you know, obviously asked if I could please get a job at the Daily Beast. And she offered me something close to that, which was a temporary gig 
doing web production overnight. <laughs> so I took it. I took the this job, which was a midnight to 7 a.m. web production gig, where you basically, you sort of take what the editors and writers have written and you put it into the um, CMS and you get it ready to publish. So not exactly a dream job, but it was a foot in the door. Uh, and then after a couple, maybe a Actually, not very long. After a few weeks there, I got moved to a different shift, which was 5 p.m. to midnight. And that made me so excited because I could go in at five o'clock when people are actually there and like meet the editors and writers and um, uh, got to know people there. And then and then after a while, I just started volunteering to start writing and, and eventually moved over to editorial. Man, I love th- I love these stories. It's just really you about uh, inserting yourself, saying yes despite the shift. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was tough to say yes to that one. But I was like, you know, well, what's the alternative? Just keep scooping ice cream. At least I'm like, you know, at least I'm in a media organization in some form. And, and not just anyone like, like my, my sort of advice out of that situation, what I took away from it is, you know, I wouldn't say to someone like, take any job you can get, but I would say, take any job you can get within an organization that you really sort of love and respect and can see yourself, you know, as a part of that. So like, I loved the daily beast. I loved what it was doing. I was just happy to be a part of it. And I was just always sort of looking to do more and meet more people and do more things. So that worked out well for me. And as also, it was really, it was a small enough place, you know, and when, when things are new, it's very merit based and, you know, you can sort of volunteer for anything and there's not a lot of hierarchy. So that, that worked out really well for me. That's a great piece of advice. Yeah, just like uh, the, being the photo intern at The New Yorker. Uh, sure, why once not? You're, once you're there, you're there. I think yep. it was Kevin Costner. Who thought we would ever talk about Kevin Costner on this podcast? <laughs> but I always reference him because in this context of, you know, he just was so obsessed with films and movie making as a kid that he remembered, he I think he was on like the actor's studio or something and he was telling James Lipton, you know, it, for me, it didn't matter what I was doing on a set. I just wanted to be on set. So whether yeah. that was picking up the garbage on set, hey, yeah. I was on set. I was winning. Totally, I, I was totally one agree. Step with closer, that. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, so then I got to stay there for a while, and by the time I left, I was I was managing editor. So it was a really great ride, and I learned basically, you know, most things I know. Um, most things I know about like digital publishing and sort of how to run a newsroom. Um, and how to work with reporters and all of that stuff. I mostly learned from the Daily Beast. Uh, the things I learned uh, at the Wall Street Journal were sort of uh, the reason I left the Daily Beast to go to the Wall Street Journal was that that's where I really picked up what I think is like sort of the more sort of hard hitting, you know, journalism skills and how to edit a piece, you know, that's going to be on the front page of a newspaper and, and how to sort of like um, be a little more rigorous and all those things. So it, was, it ended up being a good combination of skills. You once you joined Money, one of the cool things that you did initially was you got the chance to interview Susie Orman. Ah, yes, I have yes, to I ask did. you about that. So tell yes, us a little. What, so <laughs> I mean, where do we even start? But what is something that you discovered about her that you don't think the general public really knows or appreciates? Uh, that's tough because you know my main impression was that she was exactly as you'd expect, (laughs) you know, like she, um, so I got to spend a day with her at her home in the Bahamas. So she's, she calls herself retired, although, you know, she's still working and she's still around and she's, um, 
she's still writing and speaking and things like that, but she has uh, drastically downsized, we'll call it. And she now lives full time on a little uh, island in the Bahamas. It's a private island. It's not her private island, but it's a private island. Uh, and I got to go there and spend a day with her and her wife uh, and just sort of see what their life is like. And I guess the main surprise was that she is now um, just utterly preoccupied with fishing. It's like her, it's her new passion. She is so intense about it in the same way that she's really intense about money, which she still is. If you sort of like get her going on that topic. Um, but she is like a hundred percent into fishing now and she has moved to the Bahamas and she likes to go out in her boat for eight hours a day. Uh, and she likes to spear lobsters in front of her house. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's really wild actually. And she's, um, she's like participating in all these competitions and winning awards for fishing. I think it shows, no. um, I think it shows just sort of what a, um, a passionate and energetic person she is. Like she, she always sort of, she retires and then she finds some new sort of, you know, um, all encompassing hobby. That um, her riches have afforded her. That her riches have afforded her. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was a great experience. So we, we, um, do a sort of retirement guide every year for money. And, and so this year she was the face of that retirement guide because she sort of is herself retired. Um, and I got to spend a day with her. And one of the things that I've always liked most about her and that sort of connects to what I'm trying to do at money, which is like this idea of being really candid about money and sort of breaking down the taboos and, and sort of being full frontal finances, uh, we like to call it sometimes. And I was, in a little golf cart with her, just, we were just sort of like driving around the Island, checking things out. And I said, Susie, like, I don't like help me out here. Like, how, how are you so direct? How can you just be so sort of direct and, and say exactly what's on your mind all the time? And she looked at me and she goes, just do it. And then she just turned back and kept driving. Like it was the simplest thing in the world. Um, and that, I don't know, that moment really resonated with me. And I just sort of love her attitude of just like, just do it. Just like sort of be who you are, say what you think. Um, and that really connects with her money philosophy in a nice way. Yeah, I totally appreciate that about her. And, you know, she is her personal story of how she became financially woken, you know, is, uh, is so inspiring. And I think that she's an entrepreneur at the end of the day and the way that she has pursued her career and pursued her connecting with people is, is also something, um, remarkable. And uh, what a nice treat that you got to hang out with her in (laughs) in the Bahamas. It was, it was was quite a treat. It was quite a treat. Uh, that was the first time I really felt like an editor in chief. I was like, Oh, okay. Mm. So what's your next big assignment that you'd like to take on? I know, I'm sure you don't have a lot of time doing these kinds of assignments. You're busy running a magazine, but what's another story you'd love to tackle? Oh, geez. I don't know. I mean, um, um, you know, one thing we're trying to do is get more real people into the magazine, just for more real people, real stories. Um, you know, we're working on a feature right now about people who retired early. Um, we're calling it second acts and sort of talking about what they did and they're sort of, after they retired early, we talked to a surgeon who's now a painter and, uh, insurance claim salesman who's now a wedding singer. Uh, and I just love stuff like that. And I love seeing real people and real stories inside the magazine. Um, 
um, you know, or we'll just feel like uh, we'll we'll get someone who has a sort of money dilemma and we'll, we'll we'll pair them with a financial planner and sort of talk them through it. So those are the stories that I love to do that I like to like edit and you know maybe uh, would like to write one someday. Um, but it's hard. I mean, I'm sure you know what it's like. It's hard to get people who um, can give all their financial information to a magazine and have it published, right? Because the the sort of enjoyable part for the reader, like the voyeuristic part, yes. is being able to see someone just sort of lay out their finances and say, I make this much and I spend this much and here's what I need to do and I don't know how to do it. Utterly fascinating as a reader. Uh, as an editor, it's it's difficult to get that stuff together because, you know, people get skittish for good reason about sharing all that stuff. Well, um, if they can be anonymous to some extent, like whether it's using a pseudonym or just their first name and not their yeah. last name, I think that it's happening. People are writing this stuff on Refinery29, for example, Money Diaries, right? Uh, That's really popular. Yeah, oh. you know, we, uh, we're, we're pretty hesitant about uh, anonymous uh, people. You know, we really like to get everyone on the record. It's just sort of like our standard. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and I think it helps. I really do think it helps when you get to see someone's name and face and picture and, and all that. Full frontal finances. Yes. That, that's, uh, <laughs> exactly. That's what uh, I'm going for. You gotta go for that. Yeah. I mean, just talking, <laughs> having people, inviting people to share like their craziest money story. Yes. Yes. Who wouldn't want to read that? I would read it. And and then, you know, it's like we try to, like I said in the beginning, like a, a lot of personal finance, you know this, a lot of personal finance is the same advice over and over and over. Um, but if you can sort of illustrate it and, and sort of and sort of give that advice through the lens of one person's story, it's just like makes so much more of an impact and it's so much more fun to read and to write. Well, thank you for, for trying to make personal finance more accessible <laughs> and can we say fun for oh, the younger generation? Before I let you go, Adam, I'd love to ask you some so many fill in the blanks. So not really questions, but more like fill in the blank. So Mad Libs, Money right. Mad Libs. If I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is... Oh, man. Sign the ticket. Sign the back of the ticket. <laughs> um, no, I think I read this somewhere and I can't remember where, but I kind of love it. Um, I would, honestly, I think I really would put it away and like do literally nothing for six months and just like no rash decisions. Like I just, I, I would want to like think really hard before I make a single move. My apartment faces a billboard, not, not very close, but I can see in the distance this billboard that always updates the, the Powerball number. <laughs> um, I think it's good juju, but I don't, I don't play the lottery, but like I literally look out my window and I see, you know, $120 million this weekend. Mm. It's all in. And I think, okay, well, if half of that goes to taxes, sure. well, first the lump sum would only be like 80 million. And then half of that would go to taxes. So it's really like 40 million. That's like eight townhouses in Brooklyn. <laughs> there doesn't, you go. It doesn't really seem like a lot of money. Isn't that sad? Um, yeah, I'll take it. Uh, <laughs> but I'll still take it. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. All right. One thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is... Uh, geez. I mean, easier, uh, my, my spending, uh, my spending problem is, is eating out. So I would say eating out makes my life easier and better. Is it um, really a problem if you're enjoying yourself and you can afford it? Yeah, I know. But it's just like, it's so much money that you don't have to be spending. And I feel like if I 
cooked and did all that, it would be healthier and cheaper. Like, I just think that's like a big opportunity I'm missing, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're right. You can only do so many things. It's true. I mean, I think once you're conscious of it, that's good because you will inevitably cut back and be a little more conservative and mindful, but it's really hard to just say, okay, (laughs) this month I'm just going to, you know, but I would do some, maybe it would be fun with you you and your your boyfriend could do something like, um, you know, those meals that come and you just prepare them and they have the ingredients Ah, all. That's actually kind of a fun, you learn a lot about how to cook. Mm-hmm. Well, he me, knows like how. He already knows how to cook. That's oh, the well, then just have him cook. <laughs> Believe me, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Shortcut. Fire to be one of those meal preppers. That 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 is my aspiration at the moment. Do you know these people who like on Sunday just make like four oh, lunches, yeah, five yeah. lunches, and then it's they called every mom it. in the Midwest who has yeah. like six kids. Like <laughs> she has yeah, to. She's my inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> All right, one thing I splurge on, like your biggest baddest splurge, is, and you're not apologetic about it. Mm, um, I okay. I have two gym memberships. How, how's that for a splurge? Two ma- oh my goodness! Well, because has a pool, so that's 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 a splurge. So one for is sure. for the pool, and one I, is for the yeah. Workout. The, the splurge is the pool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As long as you use it, I guess, right? Uh, yeah, cost per use. <laughs> that's a good story. Although that can get you in trouble sometimes. Cost per use. I just bought a shirt that I thought was going to be on sale when I got to the register. It was not any near uh, anything close to being on sale. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you like have to make a split decision. Like, what do I do? What do I do? So I bought it, but I literally wore it like every day for a week. Sure. Um, Great. I feel like I have to make my money back. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I think about that all the time. The cost per use. Like, do I buy the cheap thing because it's cheaper or do I buy the nice thing because it'll last longer? That's something I got to – that would be a That's fun a good story. article. That's a good article. Yeah, like, which things should you buy the nice version and which things should you can you sort of get by with the a few cheap ones yeah. that, that wear out quickly? Exactly. I'm thinking about that one as an article. Yeah, yeah. When I was growing up, the one thing I wish I had learned about money is mm. – Oh, geez. Um, I don't know. Um, I guess, I guess just like the basics of like investing. Um, I never learned how to invest until I was like way past college. I mean, it actually like still baffles me that people don't learn like the basics of investing in high school. Um, so I, I probably missed, you know, probably missed not a lot of years, but a few good years when I could have been doing something with what little money I had. Yeah. Compound interest, baby. Right. All right. And last but not least, I'm Adam Aremia. I'm so money because. <laughs> I am so money because uh, I'm trying. I really. <laughs> you all, are trying. How endearing. Effort. The editor of Money Magazine. He's just trying, everybody. Just trying. He's just like us. <laughs> That's right. Thank you so much. We encourage everybody to not just read money, but pick up a copy. It's one yeah, of the few not? magazines that's actually still in print. Right. Thank you yeah. and have a great, uh, great week. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much to Adam for coming on the show. I know he's got a busy schedule running a huge magazine. It's such an honor. Adam's work, of course, is on display at money.com and in the magazine, Money Magazine. Additionally, you can follow him on social media at Adam Ariema on Instagram and Twitter. If you need any of this info, head over to somoneypodcast.com. We've got all the goodies for you, including the audio, the transcript, and you can click on Ask Farnoosh to send me your question for the Friday episodes. 
Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And I hope your day is so money. 